go back to your core principles as a leadership team, which are that we hire a diversity of voice. And if you stick to that, you will, of course, have growing pains along the way. But again, when you get things wrong, you go back to that core principle of, okay, well, let's work in small teams. Let's make sure the small meetings are where things get decided and done. And even though I'm now going to be in less of those small meetings because we've got a bit bigger, there's people in those small meetings who we've hired who have those skills that mean that they are going to be promoting that way of working. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. This is Ben Morton, and a very warm welcome to episode 73 of the podcast. In this episode, we're joined by Leo Walton. Leo became part of the founding team at Superhog in 2019 after having spent seven years running the supply function at One Fine Stay. These experiences have given him a deep understanding of and a true passion for the vacation rental industry. And in his role as the VP of Growth, he works closely with the operators and hosts, helping them to unlock growth and streamline operations by using Superhog, which combines guest screening with embedded insurance. Having experience of the property management side has given Leo an acute understanding of many of the pain points which Superhog sets out to solve, i.e. guest screening, deposits, chargebacks and property damage. Leo's bio says that he's passionately committed to building tools to improve and revolutionise the industry. From chatting to him prior to and during this episode, I got a sense that he's also incredibly passionate about innovation, thinking differently, challenging the status quo, and really striving to create an environment that allows everybody and anybody to share their opinions and ideas, regardless of their position in the organization. This interview rapidly went off in a totally different direction to the one that I had in mind, and I think it is so much richer as a result. And you might also notice that we had another very special guest join us at one point, that being Leo's 15-month-old daughter. Before we get into this episode though, folks, please allow me just a few minutes of your time to talk about Friendworks, who are sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Friendworks is a lead discovery tool that I've been using for quite some time now in my business. And its premise is very simple. Your professional networks are always changing. In fact, 23% of your professional network could change roles every single year. And you probably realize that a large percentage of your business opportunities come from those networks. But how do you keep a tab on not only your own networks, but those of your entire business? You've probably got silos within your business where people are doing this monitoring very effectively, but I bet that work isn't standardized and I bet that it happens infrequently. This means you could be missing out on lots of business opportunities. Friendworks helps to minimize this risk by monitoring your professional networks for you. As a friend of this podcast, you can get a 5% discount on the cost of Friendworks by quoting Ben Morton 5. And to quantify how Friendworks could help your business, they have a really cool lead calculator on their website. So please do go and check them out at www.friend-works.com. But 
Right now, let's get back to this episode. And without any further delay, please enjoy my amazing free-flowing conversation with Leo Walton. Leo, a very warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you with us. Um, First of all, how are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me on. I am a new parent, as you know, so sort of permanently sleep deprived, but generally generally happy and optimistic. I remember those days all too well. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to function on uh, maybe six hours interrupted sleep and trying to pretend that you can't hear the baby cry and hoping that your partner might get up and deal with it. (laughs) (laughs) So true. I think there's a, um, you ask the question, don't you, how much sleep did you manage to get? And they go, oh, I got two, three hour blocks. And you go, oh, that's good. That sounds good. And then, you know, anyone who doesn't have children hears that, they go, what? That's, that sounds horrendous. So uh, I just say I didn't I didn't ask the right questions, you know, to my friends who had kids. I was asking all the wrong questions. And now the thing that preoccupies me is exactly how much sleep we get, how much sleep are we going to get tonight? Well, kind of the thing with talking to friends who've already got children as well, it's a bit like some sort of secret society where they'd never really tell you the truth about what it's like, do they? Because I they know <laughs> if they did, you probably would never have kids. <laughs> very true. Very, very, very true. Yeah. Maybe I'll find myself doing the same. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. So, Leo, before this turns into a uh, parenting podcast, which is interesting because <laughs> I'm always amazed at how many parallels there are between leadership, good leadership and good parenting. Um, but let's let's get back and talk about about leadership sure. and the, the first question I ask every guest who comes on the show now is simple question to ask probably not such a simple one to answer but what does leadership mean to you it's a very good question um I hope I'm probably a more um a more seasoned leader than I am a seasoned parent because I'm so new to that so leadership I, I hope we do know a little, a little bit about for me it means turning up every day and working incredibly hard so that your team know that you are reliable, um, that you're dependable, and that you're consistent, and that there is a standard within the organisation that they have to hit uh, as a minimum and hopefully surpass. And I think what people aren't looking for, in my opinion, is a maverick. They're looking for consistency and to know that they can approach you with uh, questions, strategic priorities like where do we go what are we looking at next and know that you'll give them a measured response and that does start in my opinion with turning up every day with the right attitude and working very hard yeah i i love that i love the fact that you start off by saying turning up or or, or showing up because clearly there's the physical manifestation of that right but i think kind of showing up as you alluded to there being being present and being engaged and being in a a great state of mind right to inspire and challenge and support them and all of that good stuff very much so and you can't you can't fake that there's no hack for that and i think that is really really important as a a startup leader you always are trying to find ways to go faster but that is one way and you can't you can't fake you have to be there present engaging with what you're doing engaging with the problems engaging with the failures as well as the successes to help learn from them and again engaging with your team so that you know they they know you are there because ultimately that will slow you down if if you're not reliable and you're not in the room you know, metaphorically speaking, and, and engaging with with what's being said. And, you know, when I'm tired, 
and I feel that slipping. That's one of the things I, I feel that 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 can slip, and I have to I have to remind myself that that is the principles of trying to lead a team. Is you have to listen to every word they are telling you and try and engage with it and find solutions, and ultimately help your team find their own solutions. Yeah, and and how do you know when that's slipping? I think that's probably very unique to each 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 individual. I think for me, it's more it can happen because maybe there's I've overloaded too much on on onto my plate for for the day, you know. So you're looking at you like oh actually there's three or four things I need to do and I've put a catch up in and I'm not engaging as well as I should be. Or again, you know, you're just aware that you're tired and actually you need to go and take a break from the screen or go and make a a strong cup of tea or go and you know go and go and walk around the block for 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 ten minutes. So I guess the pandemic has I think made me more acutely aware of it because it has removed a lot of the well it did it now life's getting busier again in a good way it removed a lot of the external pressure and noise in our lives all of us it wasn't like oh I've got I'm meeting so-and-so tonight to watch the football and then the next night I've got a dinner with so-and-so and then I've got to work drinks and a party and so it just made us focus on what we were doing within the working day so i was i became much more productive and much more aware of where i where i needed to be and where my attention needed to be and i realized that actually i i was becoming a more effective leader and a more more effective mentor to the people i was line managing but, but because my diary was clearer and i had more i had more time so one of the things for me i made a pledge to myself was i wouldn't let that slip and i will not let that slip um as life goes back to normal because obviously restaurants pubs parties are my God, they're wonderful things, but uh, best in moderation if you're if you're trying to lead and and drive a business. Yeah, and just to be carry on with this, Fred, for a second, Leo, as well. I think one of the things that I sense that many people struggle with, probably more so since COVID, and we found ourselves work, working from home, is feeling able to take that break from the the home office desk to take that break from from the screen and not allow their their diary to be filled with with back-to-back kind of meetings i suspect probably for people like yourself kind of in a early kind of startup there's very easily i think the tendency just to work every hour that that god sends and never take any any breaks because either we think we we can't or We've read all the stories online about the successful inverted commas um, entrepreneurs who just hustle, hustle, hustle and work 18 hours a day. Like Mm -hmm. what's what's your experience with that? Do you have those thoughts? And if you do, how do you, I guess, force yourself to to take the break? Because it sounds like you do. Yeah, I I definitely do. I think. If I'm tired and I'm overworked, you know, I've overworked myself. Let's be honest; it's me putting pressure on myself as one of the leaders in my business. Then, um, you know, it, it can be a vicious circle, can't it? it? It can just, it can just keep the vicious cycle. Vicious cycle, I want to say. Um, it can just keep. It, it, it can keep going, and you can, you can do it day in day out, and and then. You can, if you're not careful, you can lean towards thinking that you have to pull that big day, just to be able to get on with the normality of, of of running your business. And so it's very, very important. So like everyone, I don't think I'm too bad at it, but I think I have tendencies where I can go in that direction. But then you have to take a step back and go, hold on a minute, I'm more than capable of running this for four or five hours a day. So, you know, the, the I don't need to go to that extreme either. I can work just a normal working day and that still is okay. But you have to have enough respect for your own free time and your own life that you do walk away from your, your day. And I've become so much better at it since my daughter was born because you know, there is something very important that I need to do and I need to put time into, which is bonding and getting to know my child when that when the working day is over. So that is amazing. And but 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 
before having that, before having Sabian during the height of lockdown, I would have used fresh air, walking, running, meditating for five minutes. That's about all I've got the that's about all I've got the attention span to do. But I'm very very bad at it, but I enjoy it nonetheless. Um, I, I, and I would try my hardest to do that. And we would try and promote that culture within our team. Um, I'm thinking of one particular team member that I was very close with in lockdown because we were building a lot of the infrastructure for the business, and we would always start each call we had with each other genuinely asking how each other was and what what the other one was up to and you know how's this she had a, a daughter that she was homeschooling at the time and you know at one point you know the, the daughter would come on the call and we'd all talk and just trying to trying to remember that it's not it's not exclusively about the work it's about it's about making sure that you're enjoying what you're doing by having normal conversations as well so yeah easily i can see that the 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 the, the lockdown focusing in could be a problem i think i was fortunate because we've got a really good bunch of people and as a business we 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 responded really well to the crisis and we pivoted because we because we are a young business we were able to move and be agile i think we responded very very well to it but everybody i don't care who you are everybody can fall into that trap of working too hard and it's really really important to recognize that. yeah it's so easy isn't it because we think oh i'll just do a few hours this evening just to catch up but i won't let it become a habit and then the same thing happens tomorrow and before you know it you've you've formed a new habit i i once heard somebody say i wish i knew whose quote it was but basically it was um as as human beings we've got teflon um we've got velcro for the bad habits and teflon for the good ones it's just so 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 true (laughs) i like that i like that yeah it's it it, it's incredibly true and i think I used to say of myself, and I, I don't know, I got out of this habit of saying it because I do think it's unhelpful. Uh, and I think I was reading a book about, it must have been, in, I, I, when I gave up smoking, I read the, the book and he was like, because uh, I say, oh, I've got an addictive personality. And the guy who wrote the book was like, never say that about yourself. Like, you know, human beings are generally like, you know, creatures of habit. And that is part of the, that that's part of the game. So I think I am really, really aware of that. And, um, you know, I, I definitely subscribe and try and live by this idea that it's everything in moderation, you know, including moderation itself. <laughs> nice. So Leah, we've spoken around what, what you're doing at the minute slightly. So let's, let me, uh, ask you like, what's your, what are you doing right now? And what's the career journey that's got you there? If you don't mind. Yeah. So I am a, a co-founder of, Superhog, we are a trust and safety business working in the vacation rental space. So what does that mean? Because it's a lot of a lot of words there. We sell guest screening technology embedded with financial protection. So insurance, fraud and chargeback uh, protection, virtual deposit. So financial products. And it's all triggered by a guest going on a, a KYC. So a know your customer authentication after they booked with a, a property manager. Um, in the in the vacation industry space, and um, essentially we help de-risk bookings for our clients and make the industry safer. And I've been working in home sharing, vacation rental, uh, since 2012. Previously at a company, I was part of one of the uh, the early team members who was brought on at One Fine Stay that eventually grew and was sold to the Accor Hotel Group, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And I joined that setup, was employee number 40, was part of that huge hyper growth that happened, ended up, I arrived to sort of 
create a check-in process. So how would you greet guests in, in London properties? And by the time I left, I was running the supply function for Europe. Right. So an amazing, amazing few years I, I had there and learned, had learned um, a lot. I had a hell of a lot. And what it did was it kind of gave me an introduction to the vacation and rental industry. So when I joined uh, Superhog to help grow that and turn that into a major player in the industry it was that my main reason for wanting to come across and take the challenge and join this early stage business but the fact that it was keeping me in the vacation rental space which is really collaborative like lots of startups lots of young people really forward-thinking progressive industry and as i hope you can tell by the by the way i talk about it i'm very 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 passionate about it and you know we had a huge bump in covid but also we recovered very well and a lot of hotels were unable to reopen and a lot of vacation rentals really benefited from that so i think we're now we're now being talked about on par with hotels where before we were seen as the kind of ugly the ugly sibling yeah got you and how would you say your leadership style has changed evolved over throughout your your career and perhaps what are some of the key leadership lessons you've learned along the way that really stand out for you yeah i think it, it, it's, it's a really good question i mean luckily i've always seemed to have had in within my career manage managerial opportunity which is great you know i've always kind of taken on leadership roles throughout even when i was fairly junior you know my first role was to was to manage the team of people that did the check-ins for the one my stay in london and like i say i went into the commercial function and was very quickly running a team and that grew to being a european team so that has always been a, a part of my job and i think i don't think i was particularly good at it to begin with i think i just tried to be everybody's friend you know, which meant that I was very good at giving praise and not very good at giving, um, not very good at giving really constructive feedback. Right. Um, but I suppose what 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 I've learned along that journey is that what you need in your team, what I think you need in a team, is a diversity of voice and opinion, and that is the single biggest piece of advice I would give anybody who's starting anything. Is you know, when you're trying to create a new product too often you end up with you know voices from just a couple of different backgrounds and you can all convince each other that you've hit the right notes with what you're doing and you really haven't and I was reading a Malcolm Gladwell book and this really stood out to me I can't remember which Malcolm Gladwell book it was because dare I say it they're all the same just with different anecdotes so I think there's just one continuous thought uh, recital of what he thinks about the world which by the way I could keep reading till till (laughs) I die I love him he's talking about poll tax and it's like, how did Thatcher's government think that poll tax was a good idea? You know, it was clearly going to bash a whole segment of the population, a segment of the population that probably wasn't voting for them. But how did they think it was ever a good idea? And, and he identified, he, he goes around the room and it's it's all the people who are in um, her cabinet are just from one background, two or three public schools and one experience of the world. And you have to remember that as a leader, that like there's no point filling your team with people that are looked, who look like you, sound like you, have had the same experience in the world as you, because you'll miss the point. And if you're trying to create a product for people that is multifaceted and has global appeal, you need to try and get that. So I think I didn't realize that at first. It's been it's been a learning for me and things I've read like Malcolm Gladwell and Matthew Syed and people like that have kind of pushed that thought further up the chain for me. But now I would say that you have to you have to lead a set of diverse voices. I think that's that's kind of definitely um, and, and within that you need those diverse voices to be able to genuinely challenge you. So it's the old saying, isn't it, that you need to be you know you need to be the least smartest guy in the room, which I'm very comfortable being, you know. And then and that's the right room. And and I think we 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 always try and hire incredibly smart people that that will challenge us. You know, there's nothing worse than giving someone a role and then they just 
they just start performing it to the level that you imagined it could be done. There's nothing better. And I'm thinking of like one or two examples of people I've hired who then go on to move the role in a way that I didn't even think it was possible. So again, you need to be challenged by the people. And then likewise, you need to challenge them. So you need to, you need to push them out of their comfort zone because the only way that you'll ever grow as an organization, the only way you'll ever grow as a leader and the only way they'll ever grow is if they are uncomfortable. So do the thing that makes you uncomfortable and then suddenly it doesn't make you uncomfortable anymore and you can, you can progress to the next thing. So that is in my job, that's, giving them speaking opportunities, giving them webinar opportunities, putting them on stage, letting them come up with their own strategy for a certain line of business and just supporting them with it. And again, diversity of voice all feeds into the same thing, right? Diversity of voice being challenged. And, and then you can see how you're putting the building block, blocks behind real growth. Yeah, I just think you are absolutely bang on the money, Leo. Like probably one of my biggest learnings I've had from doing 70 odd episodes of this podcast now, which has been amazing. Um, we had uh, Jan Gooding on quite a few episodes back who was chair and kind of leading um, Stonewall, the kind of big organization in the UK championing diversity and equality. Um, and she was talking about how she very deliberately, uh, when she was chair of Stonewall, would recruit cultural misfits right which which is just really resonated with me because for so long haven't we in business we've heard um recruit for culture train for skill it's all about getting people who are who are cultural fits whereas to your point like i get the logic of that but i think if we take that too far to the extreme we're just creating echo chambers yeah. right yeah. so she would look for people who had shared beliefs who agreed with the and bought into the vision and mission of, of Stonewall, but she deliberately recruited people who didn't fit culturally. And she said that made her job hard because she would often have to facilitate and manage like some really challenging conversations in the in the boardroom or amongst the, the, the leadership team. But she said the diversity of thought and idea that it generated was just so, so powerful. And then that reminded me of there's an article written, I think it was a Harvard article. The title was roughly like, was the CIA too white to realize bin Laden was a threat? And the whole leading up to 9-11, to the CIA was all what, early middle-aged white men from all of the Ivy League universities, like all had exactly the same thinking. So saw bin Laden's videos of him in the caves in Bora Bora Mountains in Afghanistan, just didn't see him as a threat because they was too, too similar. It's, it's, very, very interesting, isn't it? And, 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 and we all know, we all know how, how much they underestimated at, 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 at their peril, how we all did globally. I think that I think that is so true, isn't it? And I think that if you're ever having too easy a set of conversations with the people around you, then something is amiss, right? Unless you are, I, I don't know how they talk to each other at Amazon HQ, but they must just be backslapping and um, you know going out for beers. I don't know because they, 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 they. But the truth is, they're probably not, and that's why they're on this. They're on this incredible trajectory that 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 they're on love or loathe them and but but you know the point i'm making here is that you know you you should be disagreeing with one another and you because you should be you should be seeing the, the the flaws in what you're doing because no one has the perfect product so you know when do we start to relax and think that we've made it as a business well only when we're the best-selling business products of the year 10 years in a row and everyone we work with is happy with us and no customer ever has negative feedback and no customer ever says 
why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And name a business out there that has that. There's none, right? So you should be having awkward conversations. Even established business should be having awkward conversations. And, you know, when the companies lose that, that's when they're ripe for uh, disruption, aren't they? And that's when whole sectors are ripe for disruption because they, they cease to be innovative places. And I think always says, don't they? You know, it's a well, well-known saying, oh, you know, you're only interesting once, but you're only innovative and interesting once. I totally think that's true, but I also totally think that it doesn't have to be true, right? You know, you can disrupt yourselves all the time. It's just about your mindset and it's being open to uh, hearing those critical voices. And one thing I've noticed is, as I now am in my mid-30s is that, you know, uh, I now need to speak to younger people about how, to u- how they use technology not because i don't know how to use technology clearly i do i'm only in my mid-30s come on but i have to i have to listen to them because essentially they're actually for my business the most interesting customer because they're the customer that's about to be and that's not me anymore you know it's 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 that they will be the ones with the with the buying power in the future so how do we hit a product to, to cater to cater for them so that diversity that that i mean that along race gender class but i also mean it across age and you know when we hire interns, we listen to them. We really, really, really listen to them and we get their opinion on what we're doing. So let's keep going with this, Fred. It's not where we plan to take the conversation, but, it, <laughs> but, it's, but it's fascinating. It's really, really interesting. So as somebody, as a leader who is so clearly passionate about diversity of idea and opinion and innovation, how do you go about creating the environment so people feel able to freely share those completely left field ideas and kind of share a completely different view to the one you you might have yourself how, how do you do that it's a really good question i mean one i think it helps if you're not particularly intimidating so you know i think you know i think a lot of founders out there because they're either very very intense or they're very very driven in one direction they can actually be quite unapproachable um and i and i think that is a problem within numerous industries but certainly the vacation rental industry has a lot of startups and therefore founders working with core teams like you know they the businesses aren't so big that the founders sat in an office not engaging with with, with their staff so the ones i've seen who do it the best they just have a very, very, very lateral structure. You know, if we hire someone, then they, they kind of report into the entire leadership team and they can work across the leadership team. And when we hire people, we also say to them, look, we haven't hired you to agree with us because we're at this point in our journey. And so far, the sum total knowledge of the industry is all the people in this room. So you are becoming an extra person in that. So you're not you're not just soaking in what we already know, you're adding to it. And we only hire people that we think will add to it. So there is that. So there's the whole like, you know, you don't necessarily, there isn't a, there isn't a, a structure where you, you know you're eight rungs from the top. You can actually come in and you can tell the CEO what's what. You can tell me what's what. You can tell the COO what's what from, from your first day. And even as we've grown out, we still have managed to keep it very, very, very lateral. And, and then on a practical, what can you do practically? I think it's take the time to have lots of small group sessions. If there's enough people in a meeting that you can get away with not saying something in a meeting, there's too many people there. Yeah, I like that. And, and and that is so true. Like no one is just there to take notes, um, unless they are literally there to take notes. But I mean, not, not in our organisation. It is like you know, it, 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 we we would expect to hear it from everybody, and and it just helps 
take away the idea of who's who, who's the intern, who's the co-founder, who's the director, and just the idea that people can bring. So small group sessions where everybody's putting ideas together, which are really easy on video call. They're actually easier to organize on video call than they are when you have an office. And people are more likely to speak out when they're all sat at their cameras versus we, we've walked into this boardroom where everybody feels like this is the CEO's territory and they're in there. Yeah. And that, and I think, I think COVID and I think what remote working has helped that. But I also think you've got to be incredibly, impre- incredibly approachable. And, you know, I am more than happy to be told that I'm wrong. And I think that's probably if I'm going to blow my own trumpet, which I'm not supposed to, that's not what I'm here to do, but I, I'm very, very good at being told that I'm wrong. And so people feel like they can tell me that whenever they think it. And that's a good thing because then they've shared that, then they've shared that opinion with me. So it, to paraphrase, I guess it's be approachable, make sure you yourself are, are open to that. And our whole leadership team is, by the way, that's not, that's not definitely not to me, small groups, lateral structure and, and use video calls. So we use uh, one of the, uh, we use Microsoft Teams and we're on there all the time in either group chats or group video sessions. And there's lots of little small groups going on to deal with different issues between marketing and sales. What are we promoting? What are we doing? And, and you know, uh, and putting yourselves out there. So if I create something, I'll send it to the team and go, hey, what do people think of that? And, you know, as a good example of telling people what's what, one of our marketing team members who till fairly recently was an intern turned around and said, hey, the first two you did were good. Then you did two more that were exactly the same. So I wouldn't bother doing that again because it's, it's very samey. And I was like, okay, great. Thank you. Moved on. And we all, we all do something else. Bit, and then you can move on and, and, and do something else. So look, we, we haven't, I'm not saying we've got it perfect, but we definitely try and move it in that direction. I think it's interesting as well, the, what the piece you said around, um, not walking into the the big meeting room or, or the boardroom for some of them sessions where it feels like you've walked into the boardroom and the the boss is there in kind of his or her suit or kind of super smart kind of business casual or whatever because actually kind of we're recording this via via zoom today because we had some technical challenges but bit behind you i can see an armchair a picture i can see that the room you're in which i think you said is your your in-laws house because of stuff you've got going on and i think that does create a degree of comfort and and safety doesn't it that yeah that might not have been there in in the more in in the pre pre-covid world and i think there's absolutely some things that are better done face to face but there's a lot of little hidden benefits i think that um covid is uncovered uh, we try and stick to the rule although not everybody within our team is as, is as militant as i am on this is if somebody is on web if someone is on camera then everybody else is on camera no one is you don't have a mixture of between there being a big room and some people on camera, everybody's on camera. So you don't have meetings where some people are in person and some people are, are dialing in. You just have, you have either or. And, and and that works really well. So you don't, you know, you, even if you're all in the, if four of you are in the office, go to separate parts of the office and get on that video call and join the other four people that are on video call for that exact reason that I think people have better, more creative ideas when they're relaxed. And actually, you don't want to create an environment where people are kind of hidden away within a within a meeting room and, and people's shoulders can sink. And what I realize now, and you've, you've sparked this in me to think about this. So this was not something I think we thought we'd talk about was I think that people's socioeconomic upbringing dictates how confident often they feel to speak in a room mm. and how much they feel like they belong in a room. But they might not have anything worth listening to or you know they might not be the best most um strategic idea in the room but they're the most likely to put their hand up and speak and we've got to try and move past that because it's stifling innovation it's stifling creativity and it's stifling growth and I, i've seen that i think in my career where 
there's this the failures in different projects because everyone's too scared to think outside the box and they're you know accepting mediocrity or accepting that oh, we've lost this battle and everyone's going oh yeah we've lost this one but and all these very clever startupy people are just agreeing i don't want that i don't want to have those people in my room i don't want to hire those people i want people who are feel it, it like completely free to say what they feel and not just they know how to speak the the, the right language and they know how to work the room because you know that you can't have a room full of people like that. Now, undoubtedly, you're going to get people in the room like that because that's that is how society is made up. But you you've got to try and rally against that. There's, there's far too many people like that in business, and you know it's not it's not going to get you anywhere. Celia, keeping with this theme of diversity and getting just this rich pool of ideas from everyone in in the business, have you thought about how you um, protect and maintain that as as super hot grows? I think that's often one of the challenges for for startups, isn't it? Kind of as you grow, kind of founders, leaders can get more detached from the front line. You can start to lose kind of maybe touch with what's going on. Maybe people don't feel able to share ideas because you're the big boss and kind of I've just come in. Like how how you keep that going forward? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting question, isn't it? I mean, I guess I mean I'm open to I'm open to suggestions, actually, Ben. Um, uh, I'm willing to. Admit, I don't know. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm willing to admit that I feel like we're following breadcrumbs. You know, it's just every you know every conversation leads you to a bit more growth and a bit more growth, and so I, I don't have a big overarching answer that I know will work. But I but but I do have some ideas, and so I think it, with that idea that we follow breadcrumbs. For me, success in business is all about iterating what isn't working, but you think could work and moving it to a place where it's successful. So something in your product that you didn't realize was actually the big selling feature and a few customers tell you it is, and then you work, you roll with that and you go, right, this is our next marketing campaign. And this is, well, let's price this down because actually this is, this is what gets people through the door. And, and let's hire more people who understand about this. That process of iteration is, is the following of the breadcrumbs and it gets you to the idea. And then when you hit upon something successful, then you leap. So it's breadcrumbs and leaps. And then, and then you hit a big leap and then you go back to the breadcrumbs because you've got 10 times more clients than you had last year. But the challenges are different. And then you just react to it and you go back to your core principles as a leadership team, which are that we hire a diversity of voice. You know, we hire people that aren't afraid to tell us who they are, what they are, speak their mind, disagree with us. And if you stick to that, then you will, of course, have growing pains along the way where you get things wrong. But again, when you get things wrong, you go back to that core principle of Okay, well, let's work in small teams. Let's make sure the small meetings are where things get decided and done. And even though I'm now going to be in less of those small meetings because we, we've got a bit bigger, there's people in those small meetings who we've hired who have those skills that mean that they are going to be promoting that way of working amongst us. Hopefully, they still feel inspired by the mission, which is to disrupt and grow grow a business and disrupt an industry and become you know, a leading light within that industry and a thought leader. Um, and so I, the, the key pillars are how you hire, who you hire, and staying true to the principles. Now, things that I've seen go go badly at previous, previous companies is when people get fixated on the wrong number, because then you put all this power, all this thought power behind solving a problem that isn't really a problem, you know. So if you've decided that what what you need is growth, but you you need growth to satisfy your investors, and actually, so that growth can kind of be manipulated. So it doesn't matter what what type of customer, what type of revenue you produce. It's about growing, and then everybody focuses around that number. That 
puts you in a world of trouble because then you're because you completely lose buy-in from everybody and they realize that it's pretty obvious what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and you know, seeing mistakes like that happen in businesses that I've worked alongside, seen, witnessed, worked for, whatever, don't get fixated on the wrong number because because then you then you're promoting that culture of um people don't know what why they're focusing towards what they're focusing towards and, and you will lose people. Yeah, and I think it's very easy, isn't it, for a goal, target, or KPI to drive some behaviours that you really don't want to drive. Yeah, yeah, and everyone and, and everyone wants to know that. Well, the vast majority of people want to know they're doing a good job. So people aren't idiots, are they? If you've hired someone, they're probably as smart as you. Even if they are only twenty one, twenty two, they're, they're probably as smart as you. It's just that they don't have the experience. So don't fob them off with a number that that actually doesn't make sense or a job that doesn't make sense because. I very quickly lose lose buy in, in 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 into what you're trying to do, and that's the authenticity part that's that, that that that's incredibly important, and that's and that's the kind of culture we want. Not like like you say, who's who's a cultural fit? You're quite right. Like the culture we want is just that you've got people who are inspired and motivated by being part of a team that's growing something, and hopefully growing something that's very very successful. Yeah, this conversation just made me think that. Um... One of Newton's laws of physics probably applies to to KPIs almost. Like I'm I'm sure it's probably the case, and you could find evidence to prove that for every KPI, there's an equal and opposite reaction where it just drives completely the the opposite behaviour that, that that you want because people try and it's not necessarily manipulate strictly that 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 yeah. that word, but people do don't they it, it drives something and they'll do whatever they can to hit that KPI or, or target, which is of, often creating a detrimental impact somewhere else in in the business yeah yeah you're you're 100 right it's a really really good way of, of thinking about it a really logical way of thinking about it and and it can take you so long then to reverse out of that cul-de-sac that you found yourself in because you all shot towards that number yeah. and it, often it can be you can't recover from that I, I think i've witnessed that i think i've witnessed that in my experience i think yeah people don't quite recover from that because then you're, you're just going in the wrong direction and let's not forget right but what what makes this also interesting and so fun and so enjoyable is the fact that you have competitors who are in who are in rooms somewhere else trying to solve the same problems that you're trying to solve. Yeah. Right. And our, our mentality in general is we partner with anybody we can partner with. As in, we there's anything that's in any way as a crossover, we'll partner. You know, we're 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 collaborators. So that is outside of our organisation as well as inside our organisation. We try and get on other people's rocket ships because you learn so much more. But when you can't partner with someone and they are a competitor. You're like, oh god, they just need to get that right quicker, and they and, and and they might win the race, and that and that is what makes it all so exciting, and that's why you can't afford to 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 spend too long going in the wrong direction, which is why I prefer candidly, this is wrong. Let's call each other out and let's and let's iterate the whole time. Iterate. Yeah, love it, love it, Leo. Time for some quick fire questions. Sure. Um, what do you think are three key traits for leaders? I would say uh, you need to be driven. You need to be engaged and you need to be empathetic and i think you alluded to this earlier possibly what would you say is one book or the one book that has had the greatest impact upon you um yeah it's tough isn't it because I, I i this is a great question what, what i should look at the, the book title something before shouldn't i i think for me i think it, it probably is actually there's a book called the checklist manifesto 
by um i can't remember the guy's name someone will look this up and uh is it the atoll garwand one? yeah yeah is that right yeah is it i think so name? yeah it's on my it's on my bookshelf who knew you could write a whole book about checklists <laughs> and it really it really isn't me but but what i liked about it was this idea of um you know creating very a very very simple playbook for uh, across your organization that you can you know you can you can use to kind of um just make sure that everybody clearly knows what they should be doing and when they should be doing it and just bullet pointing. And I found that really inspiring because I'm not an organized person, but I I really like that. And I think the reason I liked it was because I could have easily put Malcolm Gladwell or Matthew Saeed because they write in a way that really appeals to me. But what I liked about that was I was like, oh, you're challenging me to believe that I can be a very organized person or I can put playbooks in place and be a bit more operationally minded. So surprisingly, I'm actually going to go for that. Funny that you mention it. Literally, I am um, we're early February recording this. I'm just going all in in February, creating checklists all over my business for for, for um, everything because we're at the point where it's suddenly becoming really, really important to do that. So I, I, yeah. I love that. Amazing. Yeah, great. Very serendipitous. And final quickfire question. What is one thing that you couldn't live without or to put the question a different way what is one item that if it was lost or broken you would very quickly replace it's a good question a really good question I, I like the way you put it there i think for me it's running shoes so if 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 they got too holy i'd quick i'd very quickly need to pop down to the sport shop and and replace them because running is not only exercise although it is it's meditation it's escapism. It's a chance to listen to a podcast, listen to the radio. I love the radio. I absolutely love listening to the radio in the morning. Chris Evans on Virgin FM it just just takes me away somewhere else. And also, you know, it's so good. You can run gently and speak to a friend who you've not you've not spoken to for six months. So it's it, it or speak to your family. My family live in Chester, they're miles away, and it's a great way to catch up with them. So me putting on my running shoes just gives me forty five minutes. I try and run forty five minutes a day gives me 45 minutes of my own time and I'm picking my route. I'm out in the sunshine and um, I love it. Leo, thank you so much for your time today. I've absolutely loved loved chatting to you. It's been an amazing conversation that has gone pretty much an entirely different <laughs> direction to to where we thought it might. But for me personally, they're, they're usually some of the most enjoyable enjoyable episodes. So thank you so much for, for your time, sharing your ideas, thoughts and wisdom with us. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Ben. I absolutely loved it. One thing I did think, I did hope I'd get to say, which I haven't, so I'm going to shamelessly shoehorn it into the end, is what would I, you know, with the, with the benefit of hindsight, what would I do or what would I think differently? And I, I really like this idea that I would drink less, or who wouldn't? I would stress less and I would trust my gut more. Love that. What a wonderful place to end this episode. Thanks, Leo. Take care. Thanks, Ben. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Leo Walton. I really hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed chatting to Leo. And I think for anybody involved in growing, scaling a startup, there's just so much gold dust in there that hopefully you can take away and do something with. Before you go, can I please just ask a favour of you? It would be amazing if you could take just a few minutes to rate and review the show wherever you listen. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just scroll all the way down past all of the episodes and you'll see the rate and review tab. If you could click on that and give it a star rating and a review, that would be amazing. 
And wherever you're leaving your review, if you take a screenshot of it and then email it directly to me at chat at ben-morton.com, we'll reply giving you complimentary access to my online weekly planning protocol course. That's it, folks, for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please do share it with your colleagues and friends. And I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. Take care and lead on. 